I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is How Story Works. We're finishing up our discussion of character by addressing some of the good, bad, and presumed to be bad, but not really a problem, concepts surrounding character, archetypes, stereotypes, and tropes. First, as my good friend Dr. Kelly Jones has taught me, we should start by defining our terms. I'm going to start with the standard regular world dictionary definitions and then go into the definitions of these terms as they are used with specific regard to storytelling. An archetype, by dictionary definition, is the original form of a thing upon which other things are based. A stereotype is a simplified conception of a group. And a trope is any literary or rhetorical device used in a figurative sense. Those are the broad general definitions. Let's dive a little deeper and look at how these words are used to define concepts with specific regard to storytelling. An archetype is a character whose defining characteristics relate to his role in the story. He is the way he is because of what he needs to do. The mentor, the trickster, the maid, the mother, and the crone. A stereotype is a character whose defining characteristics are based on external qualities. Because she's a woman, she loves to shop, and she's a bad driver. Because he's Asian, he's good at math. A trope is a standardized storytelling device. The five-man band, the three-beat, the bookend. Now, your response to any of these three things is going to vary based on how much you value originality, so let's address that quickly. Originality has very limited value. Let me repeat for those in the back. Originality has very limited value. Now, I don't mean that as in go out and plagiarize to your heart's content. What I mean is that every story has been told. Everything has been done. And if you think it hasn't, go out and engage with more narrative and you'll find that it has. In our culture, we fetishize the twist, the big surprise, the unexpected thing, and we place way too much stock in original ideas. We twist our stories into pretzels, and then we add scaffolding to hold them up when they won't stand on their own, all to accommodate a surprise. But the surprise doesn't matter. Sure, it's fun to have a twist in a story that recontextualizes the entire thing. And then when you watch it again, it's like watching a whole new story from a different angle. If you've seen all of season one of the NBC comedy The Good Place, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't seen all of season one of the NBC comedy The Good Place, get thee to Netflix now. It's really good, y'all. But my point is, yes, there is a very particular pleasure that comes from a well-orchestrated twist. And if you can pull that off, great. But if not, it doesn't mean the story has no value. Do you have a book or a movie that you love and you engage with over and over again? If the surprise and the twist were the only narrative values of any worth, then why would you do that? You already know what happens. Why are you engaging with it again? Because storytelling is about so much more than surprise. There are a million different pleasures that come from engaging with story, and the big surprise is just one of them. But here's the other reason why you shouldn't worry about originality. It's because you can't help but be original. Sure, vampire stories have been told before, but not by you. Do you think Buffy Summers and Suki Stackhouse are interchangeable? Both stories are about vampires but they're told by completely different people in completely different settings who created completely different worlds. Here's an exercise. Sit five writers down and tell them to tell the story of Cinderella, and they must stay true to the following elements of the story. 
Cinderella's mother died. Her father remarried. She has a stepmother and two stepsisters who are spoiled while she has to do all the housework. She wants to go to the ball. They make it impossible for her to go to the ball. Her fairy godmother shows up and makes with the magic. She goes to the ball and meets the prince who falls in love with her. She runs away at midnight when her magic spell fades. The prince hunts for her. The stepmother and stepsisters try to block her. And the prince finds her anyway and marries her. Everything else they can change. And you know what will happen? You will get five vastly different tellings of the same old story. One might take place in a war-torn London in the 40s. The other might take place on a 17th century Caribbean island. One might focus on Cinderella. Another might have the stepmother or a stepsister as the heroine. Hey, I didn't say Cinderella had to be the protagonist. You can have all of these events and add more in, just as long as you keep these events. There are a million ways to tell the same story. Your stories will always be original as long as you put the highest value on you, your perspective, your voice, your view of the world. All right, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't intend for today's show to be all about originality, but it's an important discussion to have before we talk about archetypes, stereotypes, and tropes. Because there are writers out there who think all of these things are bad, when only one of them is bad. So let's start with the bad one and dismiss it out of hand before we get to the good stuff. Stereotypes are characters that are built entirely out of presumptions about a person because of external characteristics like gender, race, age, or sexual identity. The gay best friend who loves musical theater, the emotional, unreasonable girlfriend, the black kid who plays basketball, the septuagenarian who can't use his phone. When you choose a stereotyped characteristic for a character based on external qualities, it's bad news. Always build your characters from the inside out. They are people first, and that should be all you know about them to start. That said, you can't ignore what a character is either. Women see and experience the world in a way that men don't have to. Black people see and experience the world in a way that white people don't have to. A person in his 70s isn't going to see the world the way a 17-year-old would. It's a good idea just for yourself as a human being in the world to try to see everything through the perspectives of people different from you, but it's a great idea as a writer. Don't ignore a character's race, gender, sexual identity, or age. Just don't make presumptions about that character because of race, gender, sexual identity, or age. Build your characters consciously, deliberately, with love and care. As a matter of fact, if I'm giving advice, I'd say do everything consciously, deliberately, and with love and care. That's a freebie from me to you. Okay, so stereotypes out of the way. Let's get to the good stuff. Archetypes. Some writers tend to reject the idea of archetypes because of the originality argument. But since I've already dismantled that argument, we don't need to waste our time. Archetypes are awesome and incredibly valuable because they're based on a role the character plays in the story. There are tons of them and you see them pop up everywhere. But I'm going to give you just a few examples here. The most basic archetypes are the ones you're probably already using, the hero and the villain. These are not, however, automatic stand-ins for the protagonist and the antagonist. The protagonist can be the villain and the antagonist the hero. If you're not sure how that works, go watch Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. All right, so let's move on to less ubiquitous archetypes. We have the mentor. The mentor is the experienced, usually older, character who trains the young newbie and gets them ready to be a hero. The mentor also often dies in the course of the story. 
In myth, we first got the mentor character from the character named Mentor in Homer's The Iliad and the Odyssey. He was an old guy who gave advice. Examples of this character in modern stories are Gandalf from Lord of the Rings, Obi-Wan Kenobi from Star Wars, Mr. Miyagi from The Karate Kid, Miranda Priestly from The Devil Wears Prada, Cat Grant in Supergirl, Patches O'Houlihan from Dodgeball. Yes, I said Patches O'Houlihan, Patches from Dodgeball, the character who drank his own urine and threw wrenches at Justin Long. Patches O'Houlihan is a character based on a long tradition going back to Greek myth. Yes, I'm serious. Another archetype is the trickster. The trickster is usually a shapeshifter, either literally or metaphorically, the character who's smarter than everyone else and can always find a way to get himself out of scrapes by using everyone else's stupidity or vanity against them. In African mythology, we have Anansi, or Spider. In Native American mythology, Coyote. In the Old South, he was Br'er Rabbit. Examples of this kind of character in modern stories are Loki from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the Joker from Batman, Susan in Bringing Up Baby, Root on Person of Interest, the Roadrunner from the Warner Brothers cartoons, and the Doctor from Doctor Who. The Triple Goddess, also known as the Maid, Mother, and Crone, is a group archetype that gives us three, typically female but not necessarily so, characters with aspects of the generational separation, although they don't need to literally be from different generations. First is the innocent child. The middle person is the responsible adult. And the third is the wise woman who is often quirky and unpredictable. In classic Greek myth, they show up as Artemis, Selene, and Hecate. In modern stories, you see the maid, mother, and crone in Rory, Lorelai, and Emily in The Gilmore Girls, Abby, Daisy, and Char from Dogs and Goddesses, Rachel, Monica, and Phoebe in Friends, Patrick, Steve, and Jeff in Coupling. Finally, we're going to talk about tropes. Tropes simply refer to commonly used narrative devices, and they are no more a problem than archetypes are. The five-man band, which you've heard me talk about when discussing Buffy, Leverage, and Guardians of the Galaxy, is a trope. But you can see in each of those three examples, it has found very different expression. The bookend is also a trope. A bookend is when you start a story in one place and find yourself back in that same place at the end, with the differences between the starting and ending point showing us how the world has changed in the process of the story, and thus giving us meaning. Bookending is a great way to give a story shape. It is particularly helpful in an episode of television. The much-lauded three-beat in which a writer establishes, reinforces, and then subverts an event within the story is also a trope. But while tropes are not inherently bad, they're not inherently good either. The time jump in which a story starts with an exciting event and then goes back in time 36 hours earlier to tell you the story that leads up to that event, that's a manipulative and cheap device and should be avoided unless you have a really, really good reason to use it. The cliffhanger, also a cheap device. It's a trope, it's just not a good one. The bottom line is this, archetypes and tropes are tools you can use, but you need to use them wisely. The value of the archetype and the trope is that it gives you a starting place, something to work with as you build your characters and your stories. Basing characters and plot movement on classic narrative elements is a great way to get started when you're staring at a blank page. Eventually, these characters and events will take on their own shape as you shape them with your very particular fingerprint and make them your own.
All right, that's it for today. If you have questions about how Story works, call 302-643-CHIP. That's 302-643-2447 and leave a message. Or you can email me at Lonnie at Chipperish.com or contact me on Twitter at Lonnie Diane Rich or at Chipperish with the hashtag HowStoryWorks. And if you're looking for feedback on your story, I offer critiques of novels and screenplays. Visit Chipperish.com and click on For Writers for more information. Thanks so much. And I'll see you next time.